bless you as a part of this. Amen. Is Jesus alive or what? Amen. Is he alive? We celebrated that last week where Jesus was resurrected and he became alive again. Is he alive in your life, though? That's the question. Is he alive in our lives? And you're going to hear some stories from my, not only my dear friends, but my brother and sisters this morning. And uh, they are your brother and sisters, too, in Christ Jesus here today. I just want to thank this church over the years for supporting us, uh, Sally and I and our family, uh, for so many years. It's been a while since we've been here. And um, did you guys ever have pews or always chairs? That's right. I like the chair thing. That's pretty good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for your support and of prayers. Uh, as we all know, the power of prayer and what it does and what it can do in the lives of our own personal lives and others. Um, the picture you have behind me there, I just wanted to highlight, there's a scripture I'm going to share, which is on the top of that bulletin board found in Amos 5, uh, verse 24. But that's a bulletin board um, put up on our home church, Port Elgin Missionary Church, that highlights um, residential schools, truth and reconciliation, and murdering and missing indigenous women and girls. And uh, our church, I'm helping, trying to help our church journey as God leads us, as the Holy Spirit leads us forward into how we can journey together in truth and reconciliation. You know, you can't have reconciliation without truth. You can't. You can't. And so we're in um, uh, talks with First Nations leaders at our church, and um, the next time we meet in our round table, it's uh, someone's coming in and going to talk about in-depth about colonialism. And uh, so we're journeying together in our understanding uh, where we're listening and learning, and, uh, and we just are on a journey wherever God wants to take us in a relationship with our brothers and sisters out on the reserve. Um, so Amos 5, verse 24 is on the top of that uh, bulletin board. I just want to back up to, to this, because this is really burning on my heart these days. Um, and it kind of uh, mirrors Isaiah 58. In verse 21, it starts, uh, I hate and despise your feast days, God is telling his people. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your crane, uh, grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. And I hope that the songs this morning were not just noise, but they were pleading unto the Lord. For I will not hear the melody of your stringed in instruments. And here's the scripture. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You're going to hear a lot about residential school, intergenerational trauma, possibly the 60s scoop this morning as the spirit leads them to share their hearts. Sally and I have been talking in more of a surface way over 20 years about these uh, topics, but... We want to hear from First Nations people themselves because that is their heart, and they want to share their stories. Um, but in this scripture, you know, we just don't gather Sunday mornings, and we just don't sing songs. But is Jesus, as I said, is Jesus alive in your life 
today? And will he be alive Monday through Saturday of this coming week, right? Is he alive? Um, in Isaiah 58, it talks about, uh, um, yet they seek me daily, verse 2, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? There's a difference of coming and um, involving ourselves in Christian activity, and, and it's great as we meet as a family. And in the book of Ephesians, it talks about uh, we gather for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry out there as well in our community, shining the light of Christ wherever we go. We're to be salt and light of this earth. Do you know that, who, who, who would agree that our world is getting darker and darker and darker. Anybody? But do you realize the only reason it's getting darker is because there's an absence of light? Darkness is really just an absence of light. So I hope all of us can own that personally and as a church body. We need to shine like Jesus wants with the Holy Spirit just filling us and empowering us to do what God has called us to do. And in that, I'm going to bring it to Carmen, and he's going to sh share with you his heart, what God has called the Nia Shingeming team in Cape Croker. And give him a welcome this morning. Great to have my brother here today. Amen. Thank you, Stanley, for uh, speaking Ojibwe. That is our native language, actually, that he just said, and that's the um, native name for our, for our community. It's called Niashengaming. So can we all say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. Niashengaming. Wow, Stan, you're a good teacher. We picked that up really quickly. It is really an honor and, and a privilege to be here this morning, and and I, and I say that um, with all sincerity, honestly. I know that people say that all the time whenever they come, you know, it's an honor. But it really is an honor and a privilege because it wasn't too long ago that this message that we have wasn't listened to, that this message that we have was ignored. So it really is an honor and a privilege. And um, it's only by um, the grace of God and it's only by God's Holy Spirit that we're able to share and that people are actually able to listen to what is what what is what our people are saying now because um as we all know and we've we've seen in the news that it seems like almost every month or almost every other day that there's a new discovery of of unmarked graves at these residential schools so um i mean that i mean that very sincerely that you know thank you so much for having us and um we love speaking in churches and we love talking about this because first of all this is what god has called us to do this is what God has really called us to do. And um, I don't know of any other, um, you know, believers, native believers that have been called to actually go to churches to educate and to talk to people about what, have, what has really happened. And um, so, yeah, we just, we just thank you that um, you've given us a voice today um, to do that. And, um, yeah, so what uh, Stan had mentioned, I don't know if you actually mentioned, but we are with 
the uh, Nawash House of Prayer. And that's something that we had started in our community. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later. And, um, and that's something that God has called us to as well. And um, just briefly, what the Nawash House of Prayer is, is that um, exactly what it sounds like. Is that we are there to pray. But most importantly, to worship as well. And I really appreciate the worship that we did this morning because I think that all of you knew, and, and kind of what Stan had alluded to, is that we're not just doing noise. We're not even just singing songs. How many people know that? We're not singing songs. We're actually worshiping. We're actually giving everything we have right now, our whole past week, we're giving it to God and we're saying, hey, God, we love you for who you are. You loved us before we loved you. So we're giving everything we have to God right now. So we're not just saying that with songs, with a repetitive song. We're doing this from our heart. So that's what we do at the Nawash House of Prayer is that we don't just sing songs with people. We worship with them. Because what worshiping does is it really brings in the presence of God. It brings in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And each of us have the Holy Spirit within us right now. And that's what causes us to change, doesn't it? So it's so important to pray, and it's so important to pray in the Spirit, and it's so important to worship in the Spirit as well because we need the Spirit more than ever right now. Stan just said that we have dark times right now. That there, Yeah, there is an absence of light, but how many people know that we're in the end times right now? So we need the Spirit more than ever. More than ever. And if you read the Word, nothing can really happen without the Spirit. And as I'll share with you, that residential schools had happened without the Spirit. And I think that some of us may know that already. So, as Stan had said, that I'm going to share some truths with you today. And some of these truths are going to be very, um, very harsh, let's say. And um, I'm going to try and keep it as PG as I can. I know that we have children here, but, um, and all of these children are very young. And um, that also reminds me of, of the children that we had lost because it was the same age of some of these children. Even this little child here doing acrobatics and they're like, oh man, I love that. That's awesome. Live your life, buddy. Live your life. And, um, but just imagine, you know, like a little child just like that losing his life because he was simply misbehaved. That would be called misbehaving in church, right? Would that offense be punishable by death? Absolutely not. But that was okay for our children to be killed because of that, unfortunately. So we're going to be talking about that. And as Stan had said, is that we can't have reconciliation without truth. So I'm going to be sharing a lot of truth with you today. And it may be hard for you to hear, but it's the truth. It really is. And we've been saying this truth, our people, for, for quite some years. But again, as I said, that it was ignored. So I always say... Um, you know, get comfortable in these brand new seats here um, and get ready to be uncomfortable as well because I'm going to be sharing some things. So what had happened in um, last year, at, uh, I believe it was June, that there was 251 children, unmarked graves, 
that were discovered at Kamloops, BC. Who's, who's heard of that? Yeah, pretty much everybody, yeah. So that was very sad for, for all of our people to hear. A lot of our people were grieving at that point, and a lot of people of our people are still grieving because one of the things is, is that this was not a surprise to our people. This was not a surprise. Our people knew that this had happened, and our people had said to other people that this had happened, but this was just simply swept under the rug. And to date, um, there have been, I believe, nearly 11,000 plus people that have been discovered, children that have been discovered. And just last week, um, or sorry, just, yeah, I think it was about four days ago, um, George Gordon First Nation just announced 14 potential unmarked burial sites. So those aren't even graves. Those are burial sites, 14 of them. And as I had said when this first had happened, um, way back in June last year, that this is only the beginning and that there are going to be more that are discovered. And unfortunately, that's still a truth right now, that there's still going to be more that are discovered. And I believe that there is something like 139 residential schools that were working and functioning in Canada. And I believe that there's been only 12 or 13 that have actually been searched to this point. So if we can do the numbers, there's going to be way more that are going to be discovered. And no doubt they're going to be finding, finding people. As you'll notice that um, I'm wearing an orange shirt. Does anybody know what this orange shirt stands for right now? A few people, a few people. So I'm just going to share really quickly what it is. Is that, um, so that this orange shirt represents, um, you know, every child matters. And there's actually an orange shirt day. How many people knew that? Orange shirt day, okay, good. So more than people know what an orange shirt is, that's great. Um, so Orange Shirt Day occurs on September 30th. And so what had happened is that there was this woman who was um, out east, or sorry, out west, and um, she had went to residential school. She was just a little girl. She didn't know that it was a residential school, and her grandmother got her a beautiful orange shirt. And she was so proud of this shirt, and she wore it to her first day of school. So upon going to her first day of school, she was stripped of all of her clothing, her hair was cut, and she had never seen that shirt again. It was a beautiful shirt, and she never seen it again. So what that reminded her of her being stripped of her humanity, you know, as she was older. She realized that she was stripped of her humanity, and that that's what this orange shirt stands for, is for remembrance of residential schools and, and their survivors. And I'm going to go into more detail about what residential schools actually are because I think that some people have an understanding of what residential schools, who understands or who has heard what residential schools are. Okay, so there's a few. So there's a difference between what the news shares because no doubt you probably heard it in the news about what a residential school is. But that's on TV, right? 
So there's some things that they can't really say or, or whatever, but I'm going to try and share in as much detail as I can. Um, unfortunately, there, there's young children here, so I'm going I'm to do my best. But um, what residential schools were is that these were institutions that were put in place by the government. And these, re these residential schools started as early as the 1800s. And um, what had happened is that the, the churches would receive funding from the government to run these schools. So the churches acted as the contractors. And some of the churches that were involved in this were the Catholic Church, the United Church, the Anglican Church, the Mennonite Church, the Presbyterian Church, and the Baptist Church. And before I go any further, I, I just really want to say that I am sharing this out of, out of truth. And I'm, I'm sharing this not out of a place of, of blame or pointing the finger. I just really want to share this because this is the truth. This is what has been the truth. And um, we can't have truth, or sorry, we can't have reconciliation without truth. Amen? How many people understand that? So I'm, I'm, I'm not pointing the finger, but I'm going to be sharing some facts with you today. So what had happened at these residential schools is that these children were taken from their communities, from their families, to go to these schools. Some of them went on their own, but a lot of them were actually taken. And some of the agencies, some of the government agencies that actually took these children were actually um, government agencies. They were actually the police. The police would accompany an Indian agent into our community, and they would go right in the house and just take, take the children. And this was a very traumatic event for our people because these children, your child, imagine your child being taken out of your home, kicking and screaming, right? So this had happened, and this was done by police officers. Sometimes this was done while children were still in their homes, and sometimes this was done while, chil while children were just simply walking down the road and down the street while in their own community. They were taken, and they were shipped away, and they were there, and they lived there for, for many years. Some of them were taken as early as babies, and they never got to leave these places until they were of age, until they were um, late teenagers, some of them. So basically until they were young men and women. So they spent their whole lives in this place. It was a very long time. Sometimes parents didn't hear from their children while they were there. In some cases, I remember this one story I was reading um, in the news, is that um, some, in some cases, some parents were allowed to visit them for very short amounts of time, and only on specific dates, like, for instance, Christmas or Easter or, or, or something like that. And um, while the children... Um, and and so, so what had happened is that um, the child had just been taken away in September, and um, the parents went to go see them in December, because that would be the first time that they seen their child in a very long time, so they were excited. And travel is not like what it used to be, or you know what I mean? Like, for us, we drove a car today. Um, in some of these communities, you have to take, like, a, a plane, a train, and a car. So this family had to travel a long ways. And when they got to the residential school, they were just informed at that time that their child had died the month before. And they were never 
contacted, nothing. Absolutely nothing had happened. So can you imagine these parents traveling all this way and these institutions didn't have the decency to say, hey, your child had passed away or, or whatever. So this is just one story of many of, of situations like that. And when these children were at these residential schools, um, they experienced some of the most horrific abuses that have ever been experienced in Canada through, through institutions. Children were physically abused, and children were psychologically abused, and children were, were violated, were violated. Their innocence was taken away from them. And I think that you may understand what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that because children are here right now. That there were some very horrible, horrendous things that had happened to them on a physical level, but also on another physical level. And can you imagine that a child being a baby all the way until they were a teenager, witnessing, experiencing, and seeing this thing, these things happen to them and their friends for as many years as they are in these institutions. Isn't that horrible? Absolutely horrible. And as we know, now some children were killed and never came home. And has anybody ever heard of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Yeah, so what they, what they do is that they've, um, they've done a report on these residential schools. And um, they estimated, when they came out with this report over, I think it was in 2015 that it finished, they, they estimated that between 4,000 and 6,000 children had passed away. We now know that number is way higher, way higher. And this is based on the records that they received, and there's still more records that still haven't been um, given to, to our people. And um, there are still many records that are sti still being withheld by different church organizations and things like that. And some of them had actually been deliberately destroyed. I know in our community that um, my mother may talk about this later on, is that there was some, some abuses in our community that had happened by a priest. And the records of all of that were deliberately destroyed in order to protect that person because he was a he was a pedophile and he had been shipped over and put in specifically native communities because nobody cares about those communities some of the causes of death of some of these children that that have been discovered or that were that were reported in the um, truth and reconciliation commission were um, physical abuse malnutrition disease and neglect, and others died by suicide or by trying to escape the school. So these are some of the ways that they were reported that they had died. But what would happen sometimes is that whenever there was an unexplained death or whenever children were punished too hard where they were actually killed, that they would be marked down as runaway, trying to escape but that actually wasn't the truth. Children were physically abused whenever they spoke their native language or practiced their culture. So me teaching you Ojibwe today and saying our name, that would be punishable in a church. That would be punishable within a 
residential school, unfortunately. So that's why whenever I have a chance, and thanks, Stan, for, for saying that we always share our language whenever we can because we're allowed to now. Some of the places that are still standing today um, are actually the evidence. And has anybody ever heard of the Woodland Cultural Center? It's actually in Brantford, Ontario. So this is actually, um, has been turned into a museum and has actually been um, taken on by the Six Nations Reserve. And this was a residential school. And what they do there and what they have done over the years is they would actually do tours of this place. They would do tours and they would show people that this is where this had happened. This is where the kids were taken when they first came in here. This is where this had happened. These are some of the stories of children hearing children screaming after getting in trouble and then not hearing them scream after a while. Different stories of that. So they take you on a very real um, tour of this place. And actual survivors have went back to that place and they still do talks sometimes. They don't do it right now because it's been closed because of COVID. But what they are doing now and, and why it is being closed is because they're actually doing ground penetrating radar there right now. And they're looking because the survivors know where some of the children and some of the, viver, some of the survivors, I believe, actually helped to um, dig holes that they didn't know why they were digging. Things of, that things of that nature. So if you get a chance, please take a look at that. And um, they actually do a virtual online tour right now if you'd like to learn more about that. And that's called the Brantford Mohawk Institute, um, but it's called the Woodland Cultural Center. So now that we have these children that had went to these residential schools, how many people think that you're going to be walking normal out of this institution? How many people think that everything's going to be okay? Probably not, right? Whenever you receive abuse or whenever you have been abused, that really changes you. And what has happened is that um, these children, they're no longer children anymore. These are now parents, grandparents. So what kind of children do you think that they're going to be raising? They're going to be raising children out of their hurt, right? Does everybody understand that? And especially since, you know, nothing has been done about that, what happens is it's, it's a cycle. You know, hurt people will raise hurt people, and it'll just continue to happen until there is something that is done about it. And, and again, remember that these were innocent children going here and these horrific things that happened to them. And this is all they know. All they know is abuse. All they know is physical violating of their body. That's all they know. And I just wanted that to kind of digest with you all right now. Because, you know, if you look around, we have children here right now and just imagine, imagine that happening to our children. Never, right? We would never, ever want that. And imagine there's nothing you can do about it because it's the police taking your children away 
because this is the best thing for them. And we're going to show these kids who God is. Because that's what has happened in their mind. Showing them who God is. So just think of all of the trauma and abuse that they have endured. And now I'm going to ask my mother to come up. And she's going to talk a little bit about some of the trauma. And uh, we're going to have Josie come up and talk about that. And, um, and yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you, Carmen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, my role is um, just to kind of talk about the timelines and um, a little bit about the trauma. But I brought the shoes here, and I forgot my little pair of shoes. I have a pair of shoes that are for about a four or five-year-old. We have... Um, we have another um, person who is with us in the house of prayer who uh, always brings those and says when her grandfather went to residential school, she had these little shoes. And when he left, those were the size of his shoes. And he never came back during that whole period of time. He couldn't come home. So he went as a child and left as a man and there was many scars. So the timeline for the residential school, as Carmen was talking about and Stan, about 1850s to the 1990-96, I think was the last one, that was closed in Canada. And as Carmen talked about, a lot of, a lot of um, very uh, uh, hurtful things happened. And uh, some of the things that happened um, also, uh, they sent our children there to educate us, to, um, to help us to live uh, a better life, to, to educate us, to learn the la their language, the English language, and to get rid of all of the things in our lives, the culture and all that. So um, what some of the people have reported that we know uh, say that they started to learn and educate them and learn too much. So they stopped educating them all day in school. So they began to put them in the kitchen to do cleaning and to teach them how to be homemakers, out in the farms, how to do chores, and how to do those kinds of things. So they weren't in school just learning all the time anymore. It wasn't just about education uh, because they began to get smarter and learn more. So they were taken out of those areas. So some of those things were taken from them. And so a lot of the culture and things were lost. And uh, as you can see, a lot of uh, First Nations, we have long hair, even a lot of the men. And that was never allowed in the schools. That was always very short and things. So you see a lot of First Nation people keep their hair long because that's just how we like that. Uh, so there's just a lot of things that um, people are going back to now in, in, our, um, in our communities, back to some of the cultural and some of the things that weren't always evil or bad, but just 
It's how we learned and how we were a people and how we were loved and how we always, always stood together as families. So this uh, residential school, it went over that whole period of time and there was a lot of things that happened during that time. Uh, we also come to the Indian Day School, which is happening now. Does anybody know about the Indian Day School? Has anybody heard about that? Okay, this is um, where there's schools on our reserve communities that all the, all the teachers there were brought in to the reserves to teach and we set up schools on the reserve and um, they, they brought in teachers from all over to teach us. So in the residential schools, they had a lot of nuns and priests and people teaching the children and primarily they were non-native, non right? So in the Indian Day School, when um, they decided to bring uh, ch uh, the schools to the community, it was all non-native teachers as well. So we were still not being taught our culture or our language until much, much later. So the Indian Day School went on from 1949 to 1995, and there was also abuses that occurred from the teachers in there, and there's class action suits right now because of that. That's happening uh, to this day. Uh, we also had the 60 Scoop, and uh, the 60 Scoop, does anybody know what that is? Yeah, that, well, not very many, but yes. It's um, had to do with, um, in the 1960s to about 1961 to the 1980s, uh, whenever there was um, abuse or things that happened, the children's aid would come in and take your children, sometimes without any warning, sometimes not validating abuse or not even trying to return children. So a lot of children were taken into care and sent to non-native families off the reserve or far away, and those children weren't seen again until they were adults coming back to look, look for their parents. And um, so you can see all the, these things happened uh, in segments. And so you have abuse after abuse from the residential school, there's the Indian Day School, the 60 Scoop, during um, the 1980s as well. Um, we have, um, in, our, in our community, I can only talk about our community, uh, and I understand Sagin had some of the same thing, the same priest there. We had a priest who came to our community. He lived in our community, and um, we had a Catholic church, and we had a United Church there. But he was a Catholic priest, so he was at the Catholic church, and he was there for about 20 years. I think maybe about, yeah, about 20 years. And uh, he abused about 120 children in our communities, in both our communities. And so he, he was raised in the Own Sound area, and he went on to be trained as a priest. And during that time, there was two cases that they saw that people complained that he, uh, boys, that he um, abused. But they sent him to training as a priest. Got his training, he became a priest. And then he went to Spanish. Ontario, and that's one of our residential schools, and that's where he was um, stayed for a while. After that time, he went to Wequimacong, another First Nation, 
he came to Cape Croker and he ministered in Saugeen, all to a lot of First Nations. So in these communities, he abused over 120 children. And he was very well liked in our community because the people didn't really know him that well, but he learned our language because he was in all the native First Nations and they, he gained people's respect. But he abused so many and still today, people are disclosing how he has abused them and I knew him personally. And we loved him because he was very humorous, funny, until we had a very, um, I encountered a very bad situation where him, with him where I saw him slap one of my friends and almost knock her over and start um, shouting atrocities at her. So we've had all of these things. So you survive the residential school to get a better edu education. And then you have the 60 scoop where, you know, there might have been some uh, addiction issues or whatever. And then your children were taken and they weren't returned. They weren't returned. They were just taken. And then you have your children going to the Indian Day School where there's abuses there as well. And then the Catholic, Catholic priest came on board. And then we also had the missing and murdered indigenous women uh, always missing. So we always got a sense of not trusting non-native non because the government had the funds for the churches, for the schools, and for the children's aid. So everyone who came in, into our area non-native was not trusted so we had a very difficult time and so with children's aid they always want you to get help and healing and all that kind of thing but nobody ever wanted to get it with their people right because they didn't trust that so that was very difficult difficult for us to talk about that because i used to work for a child welfare agency and so i understand that and uh, so all the, all the people were going through all of these things, and they're just trauma on trauma on trauma in, in everyone's life without getting any kind of relief. And these children, when they were abused, they told their parents, but because they were Catholic, they held the uh, ministry up this high and believed that they were not doing that. And so their, their children got strapped they got disciplined for lying, and they weren't believed. So every story, we knew that our children were, were dead, dead. They weren't here. We knew what was happening. It was no surprise to us when they found all the graves, none of it. And I'm not surprised at the numbers either because we've known all along. We've told. We've told our stories. No one was listening. And so when you see the communities, we're still trying to get healing and help from what has happened. But like you said, it's hard to do that when the truth isn't being spoken. And so that's the reason that we're here, is to trying to um, let people understand a little bit about what that is. And um, the House of Prayer, we come, we come, to help to just really give the truth and tell people what 
this is really about because we want them to know who the real God is, our real Jesus, who that is, and that's what we come to share. We want to we be able to forgive and show everybody how to forgive that, but there has to be a truth spoken first, and that has to be revealed. So we come to give whoever we speak to a hope and a future for what's, what we want to see for our future children, our babies. We want them to come home from school educated and happy and have healthy, healthy lives. And um, so I just wanted to share some of that, the timeline in our communities. And that's just our communities. All the other communities have their own um, tragic things and stories in their lives. But that was some of ours. And I wanted to leave you just with this um, one little song that this person had wrote, wrote after um, the residential school, they had found, found some of the graves, and it really impacted me. So I just want to leave you with that, and then Carmen and Josie are going to come up and kind of finish. And it's called, Is Sorry Enough? You stole our children. You took away our love. You laid waste to our traditions, separated us from our culture, tried to kill our spirits but our hearts still beat as one. And we understand that we can't change what has happened, but we have solutions to what we want um, to improve and to make our lives be like. And we want that to, to stand out greatly in whatever we do in that hope and future in our Lord Jesus. My name is Josie Dingler, and I am the worship leader and um, one of the six members of the Nawash House of Prayer team. And um, we, just, we just thank you for being here and listening to our truth that we want to share with you today. Um, to share a little bit about myself, I am a 60 Scoop survivor. I was raised in a Dutch family for most of my life. So I believe that I am blonde and blue-eyed, and um, I can work a plow. <laughs> Just kidding, I can't. <laughs> but <laughs> that's wha how I was raised. I was raised in a very beautiful Dutch family. They were wonderful. There were five of us children, and uh, three of us were adopted from three different First Nations, and we were all m members of the 60 Scoop. Prior to that adoption, we went through CAS foster homes, and um, it was less than an appealing childhood. I experienced things in my childhood that no one should ever have to experience. And it's one of the reasons why I speak and I love to advocate for children. Not even just First Nations children, but all children. Every child matters. I am a mother of three children. I have an 8-year-old, I have a 10-year-old, and I have a 17-year-old. And my 10-year-old, who is my only boy, said to me, every child matters, Mom, but why didn't our culture, our First Nation children's matter? How do you explain that? How do you explain that to a 10-year-old? 
it was hard. And I said, Bo, what do you think about residential schools and what you're hearing in the news? Because our youth, our children, they hear these things. So it's great opportunities to have these conversations with our young ones. Because don't you, don't ever think because they're of a young age, they can't make a difference in this world and they can't be the change that needs to be the change in this world. So Bo, I said to him, Bo, what do you know about residential schools? And he told me some of the things and about the graves and, you know, and Kamloops. And, and he said, you know, Mom, out of all of that, the thing that makes me sad is that those 215 children could have been someone. They could have been the person that, that cures cancer. I love my son. He's big thinking. He's a big thinking. It could have been the person that they needed to speak a fresh word even to our churches. It could have been a person that changes First Nations. But they weren't given the opportunity. But God is the God of second chances. And I believe in this time and in this period right now, God has raised up a team of six here in Neoshingaming. And I know he's going to raise up other people as well. He's raising up churches. You guys are here. You're listening. You take what you've li heard today, and then you have a conversation with someone else. You have a conversation with someone else. And this is how change happens. This is how the waves of change happen. We don't stay the same. When God says, who do I send? Who will go? Send me, Lord. Fill my mouth with the words that you want me to share. Fill my mind with the images that you want me to share, Lord Jesus. Because we do not want to leave here exactly the same as we came in. We want to leave here with something new. We want to leave here with something changed. We want to leave here with the gift of life and a promise. Because Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So Lord, send this team of six to every church to educate, but don't just take us to the churches, Lord God. Take us to the businesses, Lord Jesus. Take us to the homes. Let us have conversations one-on-one -on -one with people. Let us have conversations with our young ones as well. Let us have conversations with our First Nations. Because who better to go to a First Nations than those that God has raised up and taken through healing? I don't stand here before you just with all of my luggage that I've gone and I've attained through life and I drag with me. At some point, I had to say, God, you need to take this from me. I need to release this because of what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. I get freedom. I receive your freedom, Lord Jesus. Let us bring that freedom to other First Nations in other communities. Let us explain who you are, Lord Jesus. Because you are not abuse. You are not early death. You are not shallow graves. You are not forgotten graves. You are the God of love and mercy and grace. Six 
First Nations people. We have people that have been through Indian Day School, residential school, Catholic abuse, 60s abuse, other abuses in our community, but God has raised us up and brought us through healing. And healing's not just a one-time thing. We continue to heal deeper and deeper. So, Lord, what do you want to do with the Nawash House of Prayer in other First Nations? It says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me, has anointed our team and others to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent us to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn. That's a big part of our ministry. It's not just on a Saturday night on our Nawash House of Prayer feed live. It's not on a Sunday morning. It's in the one-on-one relationships that we have daily, in our workplaces, in our communities, at our store, at the local gas bar. To provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. First Nations people, you are not just residential school. First Nations people, you are not just your years of abuse. You are not poverty. You are not impoverishment. Billy Graham spoke about First Nations people as being the sleeping giant. And that God was going to raise up and awaken that sleeping giant. And that First Nations people were going to start bringing a healing and, the, and proclaim God through Canada. If I have to do this every single day in every single church across Ontario and Canada, for the rest of my life, it would be a life well served, Lord Jesus. We are a team of six First Nations people because God needs to take First Nations people into First Nations to bring this healing. So this is why, in part, we're here today. To explain to you what we're doing. Explain to you a bit of the history that we've been through so that you partner with us. Pray for us every single day because it is a battle when we're in our First Nations. It's strange. Someone had asked me today, actually, You know, through the pandemic, how is God moving in First Nations? And I have to say, for us in First Nations, it's been a blessing. Because there's not a lot of First Nations. I don't know if you've had a whole lot of First Nations come through your your church building lately. We haven't in ours. But going live on Facebook Live, going live on YouTube or Zoom, it allowed people to just come in for a moment. Listen to what was being delivered. Listen to that message of hope and healing. And believe me, God can do so much in a moment. So much. No one was laying hands on. No one was physically praying or touching. It was God. It was God. All the glory to you, God. We had people saved. We had people healed. We have people that still have been asking us, when are you going to do the house of prayer? Not that they're necessarily fully believing yet, but they know there's something different. They know that we're speaking truth. We know that 
they know that it's not just us. We've also been asked the question, how can you speak about this subject as First Nations people? And do, you, do your communities allow you to do that? Absolutely, they do. Because they want people to hear the truth. They want healed voices to step up to the mic and share. So that's what we want to do. I want to share um, Psalm 139, verse 13. And it says, For it was you who created my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, and when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Every child matters. That includes all the adults in here. We all matter to God. We were all created by God. I just wanted to share one more thing, and it's this. During worship, I had the beautiful opportunity in this church to just close my eyes and hear you worship. Oh, it was such a sound of unity, and it was such a sound of togetherness, and I was like, Lord, I know why you brought us here to this church. I know why you brought us here. Because when this sort of unity gets together and when this sort of unity partners with us, things are going to change. Because God said things are going to change. Carmen. Amen. And yeah, Josie, I felt the same thing too when we were uh, worshiping. And, and I was just like, this, this worship is great. Not this song is great, but this worship is great. And then all of a sudden it was over just like that and um yeah i just i think we got to worship more you know and i just i just have to share that and um just my opinion you know i, I know that i'm you know I'm, I'm not a member here or anything but i think that worshiping is is amazing it needs to happen more i feel so i just want to encourage you uh church to do that more um i'm just gonna talk a little bit about um about our people and, and how we were introduced to Jesus. And how many people know that us as Native people probably don't have a very good outlook on Jesus or who he was, right? At least the people who had went to residential school, right? I'm not talking about me. I know who Jesus is. I know who the real Jesus is. And... Um, has anybody ever heard of colonization before? Yeah. So what colonization is, is the act of taking control of an area or a country that is not your own, especially using force. Sending people there from your own country to live there. Does this sound familiar to anybody? This is what happened to us. And unfortunately... 
This is how the gospel was brought to us as well too. Through colonization. By especially using force. This is how the message of Jesus was brought to us. Maybe this has happened to you as well. Maybe you were given the message of Jesus through force. And it says very clearly in God's word, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? How many people believe that? Amen. Okay, only a few of you. Okay, good. How many people believe that? Okay, more people now. Okay, great. Has anybody ever heard of assimilation before? And that is to cause something to resemble. For us and our people, we were assimilated by force. So basically what had happened, and I think we know, is that there were immigrants that came over from Europe and they began to colonize us, colonize this area. And then they made us as native people exactly like you. And if we weren't like that, then we weren't Christian. Then we're not, God is, we're, we're savages. How many people know that that's pretty wrong? You know, like, in, the, in God's word it says every tribe, every nation. It doesn't say every assimilated tribe and every assimilated and colonized nation. He made us all individually different, even every one of us here. And he's made different tribes and different nations. <clears throat> Mind you that there are some things in, in not just our culture, but everybody's culture that is not acceptable to God. So we're not called to be like our culture. We're called to have a kingdom culture. So some of our things, some, you know, following Jesus asks us to transcend our culture and, you know, renounce things from our culture. We have things in our culture too, but you have to realize as Canadians or Canadians, we have things in our culture that are not acceptable as well, right? Like being polite, even though somebody's doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And I think that's maybe what happened with residential schools too. I, I don't know. But the fact of not saying something and just letting it go, possibly. Now, for, for my people, this is the gospel that they received. They received assimilation gospel. They received colonization gospel. They received that you're not good enough gospel. And how many people know that physical abuse is not who Jesus is? How many people know that sexual abuse is not who Jesus is? How many people know that killing young children is not who Jesus is? How many people know that in the Word there's actually protection for children? Right? If anybody causes one of these young ones to fall, let a millstone be tied around their neck and they be to the bottom of the ocean. Like, those are some pretty strong words by Jesus, right? This is the protection He has for our children. But you have these denominations saying they know God, killing children, and doing all of these horrible things. So it's pretty easy to see how our people view Jesus, right? And I don't blame them. This is how they've seen Jesus. And for me, I was raised in the church myself my whole life. And I've seen God as this 
this very mean, horrible, he's waiting to point his finger at you, and as soon as you do something wrong, he's going to zap you from heaven kind of thing. And he's this mean, angry person. And how many people know people who hate God right now? Yeah? How many people know that they probably don't hate God? Did you guys ever think of that? They probably don't hate God. They probably hate how God was represented to them because they don't know the true Jesus. They don't know the true God. And probably the word that they were given was not given to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were not ministered to through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you really quickly, and I do this example. I have an example here. What is this right here? How do you know? I've seen, I seen a hand raised back there. Little guy on the corner there. How do you know it's a $20 bill? <laughs> you can't cheat. You can't ask anybody else. No, I'm just kidding. Because, because why? why? How do we know it's a $20 bill? It says 20 on it. Stan, no. You already know this example. Shh. Queen Elizabeth on it, right? And it says Canada on it. There's a little hologram on here and stuff. Okay. All right, well, what is this? Anybody? I heard a piece of paper. Well, this is a $100 bill. Right? It has $100 on it. It says Canada. This is green too. And you can see, I'll show, I'll show the worship leader here. There's Queen Elizabeth right there. <laughs> She's a little stick figure. She doesn't have long hair. And, but that's, that's Queen Elizabeth right there. Right? How many people know that this is not a $100 bill? Yeah, but, but you guys told me that this is a $20 bill for the same reason that you guys told me that this is a $100 bill. Right? This is religion. This is residential schools. This is the gospel of Jesus through religion. This is a counterfeit. This is a counterfeit. And that's what Satan loves to do, doesn't he? he always, he's no, there's nothing original about Satan. He always copies or tries to copy the goodness of God or what God is about. But this is Jesus. The real Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't have Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's what it says in the Word, that we need to um, spread the Gospel, that we need to talk to people through the power of our own, the Holy Spirit. Not our own effort. Not our own knowledge. Not our own unction or whatever you call it. Um, it says in the Word, you know, not by might, 
not by power, but by my own effort, says the Lord. No, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? So that's how we need to give the message of Jesus. And how many people know that that we are the church? You are the church. This building is not the church. And we can't just have the presence of God within here. We need people out there to experience the presence of God. We want them to because God is a loving Father. He doesn't want us to be without His presence. He's always bringing us closer. Isn't it? Isn't that true? So that's what the house of prayer is about. Is that we are showing people who the real Jesus is. Because they have been given this false image. This false idea of who Jesus is. And for us, we need to understand who Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't, we can't any other way. Because then what will happen is then we'll, we'll have these ideas that we think of ourselves like, wow, you know, wouldn't it be great to you know, have a school, like a Christian school, that people go to who can learn about God? And, you know, like they can really understand who God is? And, you know, that they can spend, the, spend their whole time there and, you know, they can just be here at the school. Like, isn't that a good idea just to have a, make up a school so people can come to it and learn about God and also be educated as well? That's residential schools that I just explained to you. There's no Holy Spirit in that idea. So that's what we need to be. And for us, that we can have church without this building, right? We can share Jesus without this building because we're bringing people to Jesus, not a building. Amen? Amen. So I just wanted to leave you with that and give you a little glimpse of what the house of prayer is about. And not only that, but we are about inner healing. Because a lot of people who have been through this trauma, nothing has ever been done about it. And even when they come to church and have been Christians for years and years and years, they still have issues with anger. They still have issues in their marriage. They still have problems. But yet they've been coming to church for years and years and years. So what we need is we need, we need healing in our lives, every one of us. Who has been offended by somebody before? Only a few people. <laughs> Who has been offended by, you know, a friend or a family member or your parents? Maybe your parents said something to you. If that's the case, you need healing in your life probably because you've been offended. Because sometimes these hurts, they fester within you and they cause you to look at the world in a very different way. Not through the eyes of the kingdom. Not through God's eyes. Amen. So that's what we're about. We're about inner healing as well. And I'm going to pass it over to Josie. And, um, and I'm going to pray with you guys afterwards. Because it wouldn't be a house of prayer if we didn't pray. Amen. So I'm going to pray with you after we're done worship. Stop. 
It's hard to see what you are doing here in the ruins where this will lead. But hope I testify of the battles you won you were my portion when there wasn't enough and I'll testify of the seas that you've crossed the waters you parted the waves that you Sing hallelujah to the rock of 
singing oh, oh, oh my God did not fail singing oh, oh, oh it's a story I'll tell singing come before you in prayer right now, Lord, and we just thank you um, that you're here. Lord, we just welcome your Holy Spirit here, and um, yeah, we're, we just thank you that we welcomed your Holy Spirit with, with pre-service prayer, Lord, and your Spirit is here right now, and your Spirit is Lord, and we love you, Lord. I just pray that you're with everybody here in the congregation right now, and I pray that they would share the real Jesus with people within their community, people in their workplaces, people in their family, and that they would do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not their own effort, Lord. And I just pray um, that they would see a change in their workplace, in their families, in their friends this week, Lord, this week. And Lord, we pray for Ukraine right now as well, Lord that there are many people that you have sent there, many pastors that you have kept there for such a time as this, that there are bombs dropping all around those pastors right now, and they are being obedient till death and to your word right now because this is what they've been raised to do. This is their time. So I just pray that you're with Ukraine, all of the, all of the ministries that are in Ukraine right now, all of the pastors, and all of the believers, Lord, because whenever your church is stressed, whenever there's problems, or whenever there's outside problems, that's when the church flourishes the most. Not the building, but your believers, Lord. So I just pray that even more, and I pray that in Canada, and I pray for reconciliation in Canada. I pray for relationship in Canada. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' holy and precious name, in our Father God's name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. 